Section six of Confessions, Volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes one and two, by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section six thus before my future destination was determined did i fool away the most precious moments of my youth after deliberating a long time on the bent of my natural inclinations they resolved to dispose of me in a manner the most repugnant to them i was sent to monsieur masseron the city register to learn according to the expression of my uncle bernard the thriving occupation of a scraper this nickname was inconceivably displeasing to me and i promised myself but little satisfaction in the prospect of heaping up money by a mean employment the assiduity and subjection required completed my disgust and i never set foot in the office without feeling a kind of horror which every day gained fresh strength monsieur masseron who was not better pleased with my abilities than i was with the employment treated me with disdain incessantly upbraiding me with being a fool and blockhead not forgetting to repeat that my uncle had assured him i was a knowing one though he could not find that i knew anything that he had promised to furnish him with a sprightly boy but had in truth sent him an ass to conclude i was turned out of the registry with the additional ignominy of being pronounced a fool by all m masseron's clerks and fit only to handle a file my vocation thus determined i was bound apprentice not however to a watchmaker but to an engraver and i had been so completely humiliated by the contempt of the register that i submitted without a murmur my master whose name was monsieur ducommon was a young man of a very violent and boorish character who contrived in a short time to tarnish all the amiable qualities of my childhood to stupefy a disposition naturally sprightly and reduce my feelings as well as my condition to an absolute state of servitude i forgot my latin history and antiquities i could hardly recollect whether such people as romans ever existed when i visited my father he no longer beheld his idol nor could the ladies recognize the gallant jean jacques nay i was so well convinced that monsieur and mademoiselle lambercier would scarce receive me as their pupil 
that I endeavoured to avoid their company, and from that time have never seen them. The vilest inclinations, the basest actions, succeeded my amiable amusements, and even obliterated the very remembrance of them. I must have had, in spite of my good education, a great propensity to degenerate, else the declension could not have followed with such ease and rapidity for never did so promising a Caesar so quickly become a Laradon. The art itself did not displease me. I had a lively taste for drawing. There was nothing displeasing in the exercise of the graver, and as it required no very extraordinary abilities to attain perfection as a watch-case engraver, I hoped to arrive at it. Perhaps I should have accomplished my design, if unreasonable restraint, added to the brutality of my master, had not rendered my business disgusting. I wasted his time, and employed myself in engraving medals, which served me and my companions as a kind of insignia for a new invented order of chivalry. And though this differed very little from my usual employ, I considered it as a relaxation. Unfortunately, my master caught me at this contraband labour, and a severe beating was the consequence. He reproached me at the same time with attempting to make counterfeit money, because our medals bore the arms of the Republic, though I can truly aver I had no conception of false money, and very little of the true, knowing better how to make a Roman ass than one of our threepenny pieces my master's tyranny rendered insupportable that labour i should otherwise have loved and drove me to vices i naturally despised such as falsehood idleness and theft nothing ever gave me a clearer demonstration of the difference between filial dependence and abject slavery than the remembrance of the change produced in me at that period. Hitherto I had enjoyed a reasonable liberty. This I had suddenly lost. I was enterprising at my father's, free at Monsieur Lambercier's, discreet at my uncle's, but with my master I became fearful and from that moment my mind was vitiated. Accustomed to live on terms of perfect equality, to be witness of no pleasures I could not command, to see no dish I was not to partake of, or be sensible of a desire I might not express, to be able to bring every wish of my heart to my lips, what a transition! At my master's I was scarce allowed to speak, 
was forced to quit the table without tasting what I most longed for, and the room, when I had nothing particular to do there, was incessantly confined to my work, while the liberty my master and his journeymen enjoyed served only to increase the weight of my subjection. When disputes happened to arise, though conscious that I understood the subject better than any of them, I dared not offer my opinion. In a word, everything I saw became an object of desire, for no other reason than because I was not permitted to enjoy anything. Farewell, gaiety, ease, those happy turns of expression which formerly even made my faults escape correction. I recollect with pleasure a circumstance which happened at my father's, which even now makes me smile. Being for some fault ordered to bed without my supper, as I was passing through the kitchen with my poor morsel of bread in my hand, I saw the meat turning on the spit. My father and the rest were round the fire. I must bow to every one as I passed. When I had gone through this ceremony, leering with a wistful eye at the roast meat, which looked so inviting and smelt so savoury, I could not abstain from making that a bow likewise, adding in a pitiful tone, Good-bye, roast meal. This unpremeditated pleasantry put them in such good humour that I was permitted to stay and partake of it. Perhaps the same thing might have produced a similar effect at my master's, but such a thought could never have occurred to me, or if it had, I should not have had courage to express it. Thus I learned to covet, dissemble, lie, and at length to steal, a propensity I never felt the least idea of before though since that time I have never been able entirely to divest myself of it. Desire and inability united naturally led to this vice, which is the reason pilfering is so common among footmen and apprentices, though the latter, as they grow up, and find themselves in a situation where everything is at their command, lose this shameful propensity. As I never experienced the advantage, I never enjoyed the benefit. Good sentiments, ill-directed, frequently lead children into vice. Notwithstanding my continual wants and temptations, it was more than a year before I could resolve to take even eatables. My first theft was occasioned by complacence, but it was productive of others which had not so plausible an excuse. End of section 6
Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.